Thank you. That's very encouraging, Pastor Nathan. How are you guys this morning? Are you good? Fantastic. Hey, if you're watching with us online, we miss you and I hope you're feeling better soon. Can't wait to hang out with you at church. But we got a word for you guys today. And the title of the message that I want to bring to you today is simply this. We see Jesus. We see Jesus. Turn to your neighbour with your mask on so you don't spray any droplets of horribleness and say, we see Jesus. <laughs> Turn to your other neighbour that you rudely ignored and say, we see Jesus. You know, we have a lot of new faces in church over the last few weeks, and it's so great, great to meet a number of new people. Uh, I met Arnie this morning, who's just moved down from Sydney. A massive welcome to Arnie. Um, but so many people. And just want you to know today, if you have started coming to church, maybe uh, in the last few weeks, last few months, last few years, we want you to know, it uh, doesn't matter what your story is, doesn't matter what your background is, what mistakes you've made, what you believe, we're glad you're in the room today. We're glad you're watching uh, today and you are welcome here in this place. You know, uh, I'm very aware that in every room, in every church, in every building, there is a myriad of different opinions uh, around a number of different things, right? Uh, we have people that would vote differently in this room. Can you talk about that at church? Oh, I just did. We have people that would vote differently in this room. Let's leave it at that. Uh, we have people that would have uh, different thoughts around vaccination status. We have people that would have different thoughts. Some people have been jabbed 10 times. Some people have not been jabbed at all. That's okay. We have people that would have different thoughts around the way that they interpret some of the nuances of Scripture. And this myriad of different opinions is sitting in this room right now. Now, where every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you vote Labor, no, just joking. <laughs> it is okay and it's healthy and the church should have a vast array of thinking. But you know, there is something as a church that unites us. There is something as a church that unites every single one of us that we hold on to. And that is Christ and Christ crucified. That is faith alone in Christ alone. It unites us. Everything else can be left to the wayside because when we come to church, we can grab a hold of this thing that unites us, which is salvation through Jesus Christ who died on a cross and rose again to forgive us of our sins and give us life and life to the full. You know, the way I like to look at this is a closed fist and open palm kind of thought. Now, normally I would do an open palm with one hand, but holding a microphone. So a closed fist, open palm. A, an open palm would be the different opinions that we would hold to. Even some of the different nuances in how we uh, interpret different uh, things in the Scripture that might be like, does this mean this or does this mean that? And some of us may look at it like this and some of us may look at it like this, but it's an open palm kind of thing. But there are some things that we need to hold on to with a closed fist. It's that thing that doesn't change. And that is salvation. And we hold on to it. Salvation is how we enter heaven, not by our own works, not by our own actions, but by the action of what Christ did on the cross. We hold on to Christ crucified. God loved, God gave, you believe, you receive. That is the gospel, isn't it? And I wanna read a scripture to you today. Perhaps you know it. Maybe you know it. The scripture I wanna read to you today is this, John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Come on, say it with me. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
and all the King James has said, <laughs> whoever <laughs> shall not <noteth." laughs> Um That's a dad joke. Sorry, I'll quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I worry sometimes people don't preach scriptures like John 3.16 out of fear of being cliche. Right? When was the last time we heard a message on John 3.16? Man, we jump on YouTube, the, the, the mega churches around the world. Man, when was the last time you heard someone pumping John 3.16? But you know, the reason it's cliche is because it's popular, because it's good, right? And, and we need it. We need to hang on to this stuff. Uh, in fact, uh, so many of us would know John 3.16, whether we'd been in church for a week or for our entire life. Maybe it was, it was drilled into us in, in Bible uh, education in, in primary school, CRE. Um, whatever that is, though, it is a well-known scripture, is it not? But, you know, uh, we can hold on to this scripture of John 3.16, which has a powerful standalone truth in it. But if we could expand on what's going on around John 3.16, it gives us an even greater understanding of what is being proclaimed through this individual verse. You know, um, recently we did a, a video for an event we were doing uh, for a bunch of youth leaders. And we did a quiz uh, on this event and we got some Bible college students and it was kind of like pound for pound, who was the better Bible college student? And so we're like named the 12 tribes of Israel uh, you know, name the, the, the disciples, uh, you know, how many books are in the Old Testament, how many books in the New Testament, you know, just going through different, you know, just general knowledge of the Bible. And then we, we, we threw them over a curveball. We're like, what does John 3, 17 say? <laughs> and some of you are like feeling really holy right now, if you know it. And you're like, you're ready like to be taken up to heaven in a cloud, right? Um, but if everyone else is like, mm, and we asked them this question, they couldn't answer it, right? Just for everybody that's wondering, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But here's the thing, John 3.16 is a powerful scripture, but it's also contextual within an overall conversation. And it's, it's like this full stop, underline, drop the mic kind of moment towards the end of a conversation Jesus is having with a man named Nicodemus a religious leader, and he's talking uh, about how one could be born again. And they're having this dialogue together, and this is where we see John 3.16 presented as one of the most powerful statements we could read. And I want to look at this overall uh, conversation with you today because I believe there's uh, something in this that can enhance the way we understand John 3.16 and can enhance the way we approach the throne room. So do you want to go on this journey with me today? Is that all right? I want to read this too. It's John 3, verse 1 through to 21. It says this at the start of this conversation. It says, Jesus teaches to Nicodemus. This is the guy that he's talking to. And it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. 
but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised by me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came to heaven, the son of man, came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The conversation continues on to verse 21. So here we have a conversation about someone being born again. Nicodemus has this context of Jewish understanding. He's a teacher. He understands the Word and he's inquiring of this man, Jesus. And they've seen signs and wonders. They've seen miracles. And he's trying to wrap his head around what is going on here in this, in this conversation. And Jesus is presenting thoughts that I think would have been quite vexing for this guy. How could someone be born again? And there's something that Jesus says in this account, which I love. Uh, but you know, let me ask you, uh, have you ever missed a key detail in a conversation that informs a lot about the conversation? You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe you're talking to someone and your mind is just in another place and you miss their name. It's always awkward, isn't it? And then it's like you're too far deep to ask them for it again or you've asked them for it too many times. It's a key piece of information that really matters. Or, or, or maybe uh, you're at work and one of your uplines has asked you to do something and, and you're like listening and listening and listening. Then you start thinking about that task, but you miss kind of the back half of the conversation. Or, or perhaps, you know, you've got a flight booked in and someone told you the details and you know what time you need to go, but you forget what day it was. <laughs> it's kind of a key piece of information. You know, um, around 2008, two, no, 2009, I just become a youth leader, uh, just moved to faith. And I, I had a lot to learn around the things of leadership. So there's a little bit of a, a qualifying uh, statement there. I had a lot to learn. I was a connect group leader. And uh, me and the other connect group leader who happens to be in this room today, but I will not embarrass them, uh, had a young person in our group. And this young guy uh, comes along, Alan. Alan's so good to meet you, Alan. <laughs> Alan, you are a legend. Man, Alan's coming along, one month, two months, three months. He's right in there in our connect group. Alan, how was your week, brother? So good. Alan's growing in the things of God. Alan is just loving youth. He's, he's, a, he's a meek, he's a quiet young man, uh, but God's doing something in Alan's life. And every week, me and this other connect group leader, Alan, high five, so good to see you, brother. And, and you know, about six months into Alan coming to youth group every Friday night, uh, we do connect groups on the off week and, and we're doing a prayer moment after we've done a Bible study. Come on, we're gonna go around the circle, everyone. Uh, what do you got that you need prayer for? We're going to pray for the person uh, to our left and Alan's sitting next to me. And so we go around the circle. This kid wants help to, to win his soccer match on Friday. This kid's believing for a supernatural breakthrough job at McDonald's. Uh, this, kid, <laughs> this kid just wants that other teacher to resign because they don't like them. And uh, this kid, 
And Alan, he brings his profound prayer need, right? And so we get to this moment, everyone's prayed and we're ready to pray for Alan and it's my turn because he's on my left. And so here I am, I'm saying, God, I thank you for this young man, Alan. I thank you that you have called him. I thank you that you've got a plan for Alan. And, And as I'm praying, Alan, for some reason in this moment, decides that now is the time. (laughs) I'm in the middle of my prayer, praying for Alan. He goes, uh, uh, uh," he interrupts me. He says, my name's not Alan, it's Sean. (laughs) I'd missed a key piece of information. (laughs) I was, I don't even know how I got a job as a youth pastor after that. I sucked. (laughs) Thank God our youth leaders now are so much better than I was. My name's not Alan, it's Sean. I'd missed the key piece of information that informed the way I engaged. And, you know, I worry that some Christians uh, miss a key piece of information around this conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus, or Jesus has with Nicodemus, that informs a lot of understanding around how we actually see John 3.16. Check this out. A couple of verses earlier that we just read. It says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Then it goes on to say, for God so loved the world. Just as Moses lifted up the snake. You know, as I was reading that, I'm like, that's an interesting statement. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And you know, here's the thing, there's some amazing typology in this right here. And the thing about this conversation is that Jesus wasn't even being cryptic. You see, here we have a religious leader who understood the Old Testament text back to front, had great comprehension. So Jesus is not being coy here. He's not being uh, cryptic. He's not trying to, you know, be poetic. He is laying this out as clear as day to this religious leader so that he would understand the statement that's about to follow. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus is referring to a story in the book of Numbers that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. Let me read this to you. Are you following with me today? Is this all right? It says in Numbers 21, verse four to nine, it's called the bronze snake. It says that they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Dead Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. And they spoke against God and against Moses and said, we have bought, uh, you, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Anyone ever said that before? We detest this miserable food? They probably slept on the couch the next day. Um, then the Lord said, sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against Moses and against the Lord. And pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Follow along here. Put it up on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake on a pole, they lived. Now with this in the front of our mind, this understanding of what Jesus is referring to, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that anyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, when we look to Christ who was elevated on the cross, on the pole, when we look to Him, we receive the healing uh, from the strike of the serpent, the venom called sin, because Christ was elevated. We can look to Him just as Moses elevated the snake on the pole. Christ was elevated so people could look to Him and receive healing. For God so loved the world that He gave, He elevated His Son, that whoever believes looks to Him will not perish, death by poison, but have eternal life. Enter into the promised land. You love, I just love what Jesus is saying here. When we look to Him, we receive the healing from sin. When we turn our eyes to the cross, when we see Jesus elevated on the cross, we receive healing from sin. He conquered it on the cross because he died and then rose again, victorious over death, sin and shame. One time for all time, we see Jesus. But what does it mean to see Jesus? See, it's a, it's a novel statement to say we see Jesus. It's a novel statement to say we as a church need to look to him. But what does it actually mean as we outwork that through the trials of life? What does it actually mean when we outwork that through some of the difficulties of our situations or, or through some of the successes of our day? What does it mean to look to Christ as we live our life? Well, today, in the time that I've got, I, I wanna look at three thoughts on where and how we see Jesus because I believe that it will inform the way we engage as we look to Christ for what we need. The first point today, if you're taking notes, write this down, is that we see Jesus working in the background. We see Jesus working in the background. You know, sometimes the things that just absolutely suck can be the things that bring you to the place God wants you to be. Can anyone relate to that? Those, those moments that you just go, I wish that didn't happen. But somehow in those moments, God has the ability to, to shift you, change things in you, grow you, work on you, prepare you. And it's in that sifting, it's in that grind, it's in those hard moments that God is working in the background and doing something with it. I love Romans 8, 28. It says, we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. You know, this scripture gets misquoted a lot. You know, a lot of people just think that it means that God makes all things good. No, 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 there is some stuff that is definitely not good. And no matter how you twist it, no matter how you think of it, it will never be good. Uh, you know, some other uh, people think that all things then will become good. No, 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 no. There is still some definitely things that they're not good. It says that all things work together for good. So I would submit to you that what God actually does is He takes the good, He takes the bad, and somehow amongst all of those things, He'll bring good out of it doesn't mean that the trial is good, doesn't mean that the circumstance is good, doesn't mean that that sickness is good, but God has the ability to work in the background to find an, a way to bring some gold out of that situation. You see, in the background, in the trial, in the circumstance, be assured God is working, God is fighting for you. You know, I remember 2008, I was a builder's apprentice and uh, we we're doing... Um, commercial uh, building jobs 
And I, I loved it. It was so much fun and nail guns, hammers, uh, you know, the apprentice, I was getting told to go find the left-handed hammer and the rainbow spray paint and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, 2008, the GFC was, was well underway and the guy I was working for's business goes bust and we all lost our jobs. And in that moment, man, I'm calling up everyone, trying to get another apprenticeship. It's like the middle of the year, though, and nothing's happening, right? Everyone's just sort of like they've constricted because of, of the tone of business at that time, right? Not a lot of building was happening. And, and so I just couldn't get a job. And I was frustrated at God. I was frustrated that, that God, you know, I thought he'd brought me to this supernatural moment. And I had this job, and it was going to be all good. And I, I dropped out of school to do it. And, and then I'd lost my job. And in that moment, I struggled to see what God was doing. But isn't hindsight 2020, right? You look back and you're like, oh man, God bought some good out of that situation. You see, if I had continued on that course, I wouldn't have gone back to school. I wouldn't have finished school. I wouldn't have then decided to go and do Bible college and I wouldn't have moved to Melbourne to do Bible college. And if I hadn't moved to Melbourne, I, I wouldn't have ended up finding this amazing church. I wouldn't have met my beautiful wife, Aileen. We, I wouldn't be here to this day. I, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd probably be building pergolas for somebody, which is a great thing. I love a good pergola. <laughs> but God had a different plan. Now, for some of you, perhaps God brought you into building. So, if you're a builder in this place, I love you. It's all good. Um, Christ was a carpenter. <laughs> but what I want to, I guess, highlight to you is that God can work in the background even in times when it's not good. Go, oh, yeah, Dave, that's well and good. Um, losing a job is different to sickness. Well, let me speak into sickness for a second. Uh, if you've been in this church for 10 minutes, you've probably heard me share my story before. Um, I won't apologize for it because I want to uh, share a, a part of this that I probably haven't really highlighted before, but uh, my mum passed away from a brain aneurysm when I was 16. Uh, during the night, she literally just dropped dead. And um, I found her with my sister um, the next morning, uh, rocked our world. Uh, very heavy thing, but it definitely shaped who I was. Three months before she'd had a brain aneurysm, she had just beaten a battle with breast cancer. And I remember when that happened, it just, it knocked her for six and it knocked me for six. And just like, what, what is going on, right? And, and the thing about cancer that I just want to be really clear of, uh, clear with, is that cancer is not of God. It's not from God. God does not send cancer. God can heal cancer. But there are times when healing doesn't take place. And so how do you quantify those moments? And as I reflect back on that journey, I can confidently say as someone who's journeyed through this as part of a family that's been touched by this horrible thing called cancer, that God bought good from that situation in my life. You see, I didn't have a dad. And so I was an angry teenager trying to work out life, just, just messed up. And my mum and I, we just clashed. We butted heads and, and, and I'd fight with her. I'd, I'd get angry. And, 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 you know, through that journey of cancer, it caused me to start to reflect on who I wanted to be and the relationship I wanted to have with my mom. And, you know, during that time that she was battling with cancer, God did a work in our relationship and it was restored. And we were actually in the greatest standing as a, a mother and son that we'd ever been in. And I, I loved her. I was proud of her. And we were doing so well. Then three months later, she passes away. And, you know, after she passed away, I reflected on that cancer journey and 
just was thinking, God, if that hadn't have happened, I would have been in bad standing with my mum when she died. And that would have informed my future in a massive way. I probably would have felt like just the worst human being ever, treating her bad, not respecting her, not honouring her as my mum. But God had the ability to take sickness and bring good from it. You know, for some people, sickness can cause them to begin to think on things of faith. You know, even with this pandemic that's just happened, I don't know about you, but a lot of people I've spoken to have reflected on their relationship with Christ. You see, God has the ability to work in the background, even in moments of sickness, to do things in families, to do things in hearts, to bring people in. Does that make that situation good? By no means, not at all. But does it mean God can bring good from it? Yes. There are times where God can heal. I believe in it. I'll pray for it. I'll lay hands and speak faith on it. I I hold to the Scripture because the Scripture says that we can lay hands on the sick and see them healed. But there are also times where sometimes it doesn't happen, and I don't know why. But I know that even in those moments, God can still bring good from it. And I hope... I hope I've given that justice in this point, but I want you to know whatever you're going through, whatever you're believing for, sometimes the results we're asking for don't happen, but it doesn't mean God won't bring good from what you're carrying. The turmoil, the trial, the struggle. God can bring good. The second point today, are you getting something out of this? Is that we see Jesus in the struggle. Hebrews 2 verse 6 to 9 It says, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour. You put everything under their feet. This is speaking about mankind. In In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You know, I like this here in verse eight. It says, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. God has given mankind dominion. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. The Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We are power carriers if we've asked God to give us the Spirit. But then it says, we don't see everything subject to them. But I love that it then goes on to say, but we do see Jesus. But we do see Jesus. Have you ever felt like you've had a biblical grounding to have authority over a certain issue and you've prayed and you've believed and you've fasted and you've gone after this thing and and maybe you didn't see that breakthrough that you were believing for. That is that moment where it's a bit of a, yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them. You scratch your head. What what is going on? I I prayed that my mum wouldn't pass away that morning when I found her. I asked God to raise her from the dead. It didn't happen. 
But you know what I did see in that moment? I saw the grace of God to carry me through. I saw the goodness of God to bring a church around me and hold me up and pray with me and comfort me. I saw Jesus in that moment. And I wanna tell you, maybe there's some stuff in your life that you have not yet seen being put under your feet. You have not seen it yet come into subjection of what you're claiming from Scripture. But I wanna tell you, when you look to the cross, you will see Jesus. And our faith is not determined on whether or not we get healing. Our faith is not determined on whether or not we are rich or poor. Our faith is not determined on whether we're locked down or free. Our faith is determined by what Christ did on the cross when He died and rose again. You see, our salvation is not linked to what we get done for us. Our salvation is linked to that one thing that was already done. Christ died and rose again. And when we make the decision that we will look to Jesus in good times, in hard times, and we say it doesn't matter what goes on, it doesn't matter if everything is stripped away, we will still look to you. Man, I think that is a powerful place to be as Christ followers. Our belief need not be linked to anything but Christ and Christ crucified. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. We need to start lifting up the Son of Man in our trials and saying, God, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm still going to lift you up. I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to honour you in the good, in the bad, in the ugly, in the hard. I will lift you up. I will look to you. I will praise you. We see Jesus. Point number three as the band comes up. And last point today, we're taking notes, write this down. We see Jesus as the ultimate goal. We see Jesus as the ultimate goal. Check this out, Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. We need to forget what's behind. We need to stop using mediocrity as an excuse. We need to stop using a global pandemic as an excuse. Oh, you know, when this happens, oh, then I'll start engaging again. Or, you know, when, when we get to this point, then I'll, then I'll invite my neighbour over for a coffee. Or, or when we get to this, no, no, forget what's behind. The last two years are behind us. God has something for this church now. God has something for your life now. God has something for your workplace now. God has something for your family now. We need to forget what is behind. We need to leave the last few years behind us and we need to start pressing on toward the goal. What is the goal? The goal is Jesus. The goal is that there would be a manifest presence outpouring in this church that when people come in, they would find faith in Him. They would have their lives transformed, turn around, set free, addiction broken, pain broken, unforgiveness broken, hurt broken. The goal is Jesus moving in this church. The goal is Jesus moving in this community. The goal is Jesus moving in our high schools. The goal is Jesus. And we need to forget what's behind and we need to get up and start saying, God, I'm ready to run. I'm ready to look to You. My eyes are focused. I'm ready to go after this. I'm not satisfied with just chilling anymore. We need You. 
We need your presence. Church, I feel the Spirit on this right now. What are we looking to? What are we looking to? What are we focusing on? For those in our family who are away from Him, we see Jesus and He's bringing Him in. For those who are in opposition to what the church is trying to do, we see Jesus and He's making a way where there is no way. For those needing breakthrough in specific areas of their life, provision, healing, we see Jesus and we hold to the Scripture and we know if He did it then, He can do it now. God, we are going to claim it. We are going to pray for it. We see Jesus. For young adults who are believing to step into their calling and their destiny, we see Jesus and He's written a plan. He's written a path and it's going to be good and it's going to be blessed. When we see a church hungry for a move of God, we see Jesus. And He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you.